Pastor Larry. Uh, it was definitely uh, good to, to go over all that. I hope you were um, enlightened and, and encouraged by that. So um, our panel today is, of course, Pastor Larry on your far left. Um, and then we have Recab and Akemeni, who's a, a writer and, a, and speaker, and our youth uh, ministry pastor, Pastor Curtis Dunlap, and we also have Pastor Ernie Grant from Epiphany Camden. He is the Connections Pastor at Epiphany Camden, and he also has a fantastic blog on evangelism, which you can uh, check out as well. Um, so right there is a microphone, and it is open for you to come up and ask any question. Now, I want to reiterate, please ask any question that you have. There is no dumb question. Um, there is no question that's off limits, um, and there's no uh, shade for asking anything that you think is, <laughs> is, is, is off. Uh, maybe you think the Gospel of Thomas should still be in. I don't know. But, <laughs> but uh, you can ask anything you want. Um, first, good afternoon, everyone. The um, question is about the Gospel of Thomas, so maybe this is for Pastor Larry. Um, what does it mean to make someone male so they can enter the kingdom of heaven? I don't know. Next question. <laughs> I don't. I mean, the reason I shared that example is there are a lot of examples like that in the pseudepigraphal literature, in apocryphal literature. There are some sayings that sound very close to what's in the Gospels, but there are a lot of things that have no ring of truth, hard to make sense of what in the world does this stuff mean. And so that's why I shared that example because just how absurd it is. The other thing about that is that in an age of pro political correctness, for someone to be asking for the Gospel of Thomas to be recognized as the fifth gospel, they've got to deal with that. They've got to deal with that craziness, yeah. But what it means to make a woman into a man, I don't want to do it, I don't want to see it, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what it means. Amen. Um, if, if I could just add uh, mm -hmm. on top of that, I think what like a lot of folks don't understand is that a lot of what is in the Gospel of Thomas, you find in the Quran itself and other sources that we have from that, that time period. And so when, when Muhammad a lot of times was like arguing with himself in like a diatribal form uh, about the doctrines of the Christian faith, a lot of times he was arguing with this, this version of the Christian faith that comes from those types of writings like the Gospels of Thomas and not the actual Christian faith itself. He didn't even know what he was arguing with uh, because even Orthodox Christians at that time would have neglected a lot of the writings that and teachings about Christ that you actually find in the Quran about Jesus. One of those stories he actually brought up is in there about little Jesus uh, <laughs> making <laughs> wild stuff about little Jesus just basically stomping the bull down. I just, if that wasn't a fun, hilarious to anybody else, I was dying <laughs> laughing to that, so yeah, yeah. Jesus from the streets of Nazareth. Maybe it happened, you know. <laughs> Can anything good come? Right. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. That's hilarious. 
Um, but thank you, Pearl. Thank you. Um, one of the questions I was hoping to get answered, so you covered a lot of religions. Um, one of the biggest things that I thought about when doing historical research is that if God was the first and he was the almighty, why wasn't the Bible the first written text? So the Sumerian culture were the first people to have written um, word, you know, with that. And obviously the Sumerian culture is obviously referenced in the Bible, but um, those are one of the things that I would like a little bit more on that. I mean, I think um, just from my view, just because the Bible's not the first written text doesn't um, negate its validity and its truth um, and its authority. I think we have to remember that redemptive his history is a line. And so we're going from Genesis to Revelation, you know, and God has been, and when I say redemptive history, I'm talking about um, how God has broken in to history and has um, redeemed his people, his church, all throughout history, and he's doing that even now. And I think it's important to understand how um, scripture, um, our, our scripture is different from the Quran. You know, the Quran, basically they say, and I'm being simplistic here, but it dropped out the sky. You know, um, mm. God used organic inspiration. So he used people, apostles, prophets, um, in their times and in their places um, to actually, in, in circumstances that actually caused them to write these letters, um, to actually send these admonitions to the churches and to individuals um, for our teaching and for our instruction. And so I think that's really important to keep in mind too, because um, that also lends itself to what Pastor Larry was talking about with the manuscripts and even some of the variants. If anything, that actually should um, strengthen, you know, our faith, knowing that wow, Paul, you know, took these scriptures and he did he wrote them in his time by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Luke took the Gospels and he wrote it from the perspective of a physician as an investigator, really, um, taking you know, firsthand accounts you know, of the scriptures, so taking the time to do those things. And so it's a gracious act on God's behalf to even um, communicate himself in a way that we can understand. And so I think that because the Bible is not the first written book, I don't think that negates um, its authority um, and its um, impact on our lives now. Mm -hmm. And we're still waiting for more of scripture to be revealed and it is um, being yeah. confirmed even now. So I hope that helps. Yeah. One of the things I would say with that as well is, is if you look at the Bible and you go back and you look at Sumerian culture, Akkadian culture and, and uh, other ancient Near Eastern cultures that have writings that predate um, the Torah, right? Um, you'll see there is interaction with those uh, ways of understanding that you see, for instance, in the creation narratives of those cultures, in the flood narratives of those culture, you'll see that there are some similarities mm -hmm. with the Bible. Yeah. But then you'll also see radical differences. So whereas in some of the ancient Near Eastern uh, creation accounts, it is these different gods fighting with one another, vying for position, um, making man in order to serve their needs. You see in Genesis 1 account, in Genesis 2, you see a very different account of one God creating man and, and making creation 
for the enjoyment of man in order to point to the one true God. Mm -hmm. So uh, scripture was written, uh, all of scripture was written in a particular environment uh, to people who could understand what was written at that time. Um, so I agree with Akemeni that what was written first, that's not really the question, but what is God doing through history? And so as he write, as we get Genesis given to us, it goes back to in the beginning God created. And, and it answers those questions, but God gives the scripture in a certain period of time. Before that, God is moving in creation from before history. God is. He creates. And then it is the story of redemptive history, how God has come into time uh, to rescue a people, to glorify himself in order that he might be known. So that's what we see as you walk through from Genesis to Revelation, God revealing himself uh, in order to save people. And that comes in epochs. It comes uh, in times as he reveals himself over time. Yes. Most of that came from the fall, right? Most of? Most of it came from the fall, like from what happened, these different cultures and the different gods, you know, with that, with the fall. Yeah, with the I, I think with, with the fall and then. There's I mean, a lot of different texts reference like the Anunnaki, but, you know, mm -hmm. the Bible calls it the Anuk. Or yeah. whatever, so it's yeah. like roughly the same thing. All right, yeah. Yeah, no, good question, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hi. Hi. I have uh, two questions. Um, most of it being uh, a lot of the knowledge given today was you know, good for practical use and evangelical use. One question being, how do we um, speak to, I know I meet a lot of Christians who believe in the Bible and evolution. Let me not say a lot, a few. And uh, how do we combat that with the, you know, the idea that God created the world, but through evolution or through science, they're, they're into science and they're into the Bible and, you know, just really honing in on what you were talking about, the Bible just being absolute, you know, this is our only rationale. This is our only sort of thing. Even though that evolution has, you know, it's given us things like um, antibiotics. And they say, you know, this is just many things that could have come from Darwin studies and stuff like this. And God created, it wasn't literal seven days. It was maybe been 7,000 days because a thousand days is, a, you know, a, a year to God, whatever they say. Like, um, so how would you, what would you say to that? That's an important question. Let me just, I want to speak to this first. <laughs> Other people would speak to it too. First of all, we need to be very careful that we're not confusing two things that are not the same thing. You can believe in, edu in, in evolution and be a Christian. So I don't need to convert someone from, from believing in evolution to a Christian. So we need to be very careful about that kind of thing. Um, there are many different views that people who love Jesus and believe in the Bible have. And also, even when you get back to texts such as Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there are different views among orthodox, believing, evangelical people about how best to understand those texts. So we want to be careful. I think we want to be very careful about equating um, 
if you believe in evolution in any kind of way, then you can't be a Christian. I need to convert you from that thinking. I personally think that Darwinian evolution, which includes the idea of, how did you say it when you, when you were talking, um, of, of, of just random chance and mutation over billions of years doesn't align well at all with a God of purpose that we can see as we do science and look at his creation. The other thing I would say, you, you mentioned like evolution has given us like antibiotics. I wouldn't say evolution has given us antibiotics. I would say good science has well, I mean, given that's, us. That's their, no, I, I know, but, but the reason I'm making that distinction is this. Christians don't need to be afraid of good science, yeah. but we need to discern between what is science and what, Evolution is a theory, and many would say, and I, I would agree, that Darwinian evolution is a theory that's on very shaky ground, and there are much better explanations for many of the things that Darwinian evolution tries to answer. Now, I say that, but I, I really want to make that first point that where people stands, stand on a scientific subject, it may mean... Let, let, I'm going to give an analogy. Um, oh, this is a bad analogy. My wife's going to get mad at me. Don't do I don't know where this don't room is it. at. I don't like to talk about politics. <laughs> Could you vote for Donald Trump and be a Christian? <laughs> um, I, I, I would say you can be a Christian, but you're inconsistent. And so looking at Darwinian evolution in particular, I believe is inconsistent with uh, a good understanding of scripture. However, it doesn't disqualify. We're not going to be asked, what did you think about uh, evolution? But what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? And that's an important distinction to make. Then in the family of faith, we can have these arguments and we can talk through these things. Yeah, I, I think one of the, th the key things to keep in mind, too, is oftentimes when we get into these types of discussions, as believers especially, there's, there's a fear of this idea that the science and the Bible are at odds. And so to have one view means to disregard the other view. And I, I don't think that's the case at all. Romans 1 would even suggest that we see and are pointed towards the existence of God through his creation. And so as we study creation, objectively, we sh it should point us back to the invisible attributes of God, the creativity of God, the beauty of God, the powerful of God, the, I mean, the powerful of God, the, <laughs> the, the, the power of God, right? And so uh, even, even keeping in mind James 1, like we see into, not James 1, we see into, uh, we see dimly, right? First Corinthians, yes. Uh, we, we see dimly uh, because we don't have like the full picture yet, right? And so there, there, there is gonna be some uh, there are going to be some differences in thought. Um, however, again, a as we study science, as we deal with science, as we, as we do objective study of science, it, if, if we're coming to conclusions that are heavy, heavy in theory and absolutely stand in contradiction of God's word, like that's when we, may, that's when we draw our line in the sand, right? But, but as we're dealing with uh, those conversations, it's helpful to keep in mind that just like science and Christianity aren't at odds, Right. Um, ultimate, like God's word is the ultimate authority. Uh, but good science, good objective science should should be a support to what we already believe. 
Yeah, you know, I, I would also add a lot of times <clears throat> we feel the pressure to know every uh, scientific philosophy and every understanding about science and the Bible. You know, sometimes we just have to relieve ourselves of that pressure and realize that we can accumulate our knowledge over time as we pray, as we study, as we read more, as we dialogue with more people. So we don't have to be able to hit somebody with the, the full brigada of our all of our knowledge. We just don't have to do that at one time, but rather accumulate the knowledge, pray through it, think about it, reason with it, talk to other people who really understand it a little bit more than we do. And we can continually engage those people um, that have different opinions. Than I just had a question people. about the, the literal seven days. Like what would be an answer to somebody who's saying God created the world through billions of years. And that's, that's what I was alluding to, gotcha. which I believe in the literal seven days. But is there any like tip, anything that you could you know, say about the, because people have a problem with this, some people, not, you know, not me per se, but that there was billions of years created over time. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, uh, I, would start a, I would start with his and say that you, you can, exegete that passage and there are very good biblical scholars who exegete that passage and come away with a view that allows for a very old earth I would also say that there are very good biblical scholars who exegete that passage and come away with this literal seven day creation uh, I'm not going to go through this whole panel but we all got different views on, on this issue so that's, that's okay I will say that um when I talked about logically consistent, experientially relevant, and uh, empirically verifiable, one of the things that the evolutionary theory does is it puts together a very good system. It's logically consistent. They try to make it make sense. What, what I personally, everybody else can disagree, what I have found personally though, is that when I go into the annals of the library and I'm looking specifically in the evolutionary encyclopedia section and I'm going through books and books and books of material on this particular thing. I'm not talking about exegeting the text right now, I'm just talking about looking at for evidence. I don't find supporting evidence enough in this area. So for me, logically consistent as it may be, it, it sounds, it seems like it makes sense. Monkeys look like humans. Well, we must have come from them. Like it seems like it makes sense. But another argument could be they look the same because they have the same designer. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of arguments there. And I think for, to specifically answer your question, me and you could talk offline. I think there's some great resources I could point you to. Okay. But at the end of the day, I would say like people, especially believers, we should be very careful not to just take what the scholars say just because they have a PhD at the end of their name but to actually go into those libraries ourselves, not online, <laughs> but like actually go to like academic journals, scientific journals and see what is science saying about these particular things. And for me, the amoeba to man theory, but just, it, it breaks down in every single la layer. Um, so for, that's my personal view, but I would agree with him that it does not make you or break you. <laughs> Let me way. say too, a lot of times we can mix up uh, things as well. So, uh, old earth doesn't mean someone believes in Darwinian evolution. Doesn't mean that at all. So a lot of people that hold to old earth um, that do not hold to the theory of evolution as most people understand it at all. So 
That, that's one important distinction. The, the, the other thing is to recognize that our task in coming to the Bible is to understand it on the terms in which it was written and who it was written to and what did it mean to them. So we, one thing that we need to be careful about is asking 21st century questions of a text from 1,500 years before Christ in, in the sense that is this the question that is trying to be answered? So we really need to, to go back and ask questions about hermeneutics. How, what is our task in looking at the scripture and make sure that we're not imposing our culture, our understanding, and our questions on a text that is not interested in answering that. Now, one obvious thing, this would everyone could agree on this, uh, even on this panel. Um, when the Bible talks about the right hand of God, it's not saying that God has a physical right. hand that's going to do this. The Bible talks about God anthropomorphically. That, that's a common way to help us understand God, right? And so that, that's one example, but there are so many things in the scripture where we can, if we're not careful, we do damage by importing uh, a cultural frame on the scripture that doesn't belong to it. So that's why going back and understanding culture is so important when we do exegesis of the scripture. I have one more question, if you don't mind. Um, I was raised Reformed Calvin. Um, how do you, so in, I know you guys know about all this. So in evangelizing to people who have an Arminianistic sort of view, um, would you say if most of the people in the Bible believed in election per se, how would you deal, how do we deal with, you know what I mean, this Arminian view that of, of man's will in evangelizing to people if it's a valid, if it's like, I don't know, it's kind of plain to me from my perspective in, in the point of view. Is it a heresy? Is it something like, do you know, is it a false teaching? Is it like, or is it something that we can just kind of, is it secondary? And it's like, does it take away from the validity of what you guys are speaking about today? Like when Paul and all these guys are talking about in, you know, in Romans 8 and all these different things, like in evangelizing to people, do we, you know, I don't know. That Arminian kind of point of view is just, it kind of messes with me a little bit. Can I say something really quick? I want to go back to your first question really I just want to add on to what they say, and I will answer what you're asking. You should be in a presidential debate. That's no. good. I just question. talk I'm about it. This I don't want to be. That was what you just said. No, um, I just wanted to add that um, I think it's important for us as Christians to make sure that we're not negating science um, and dismissing it. And, and, and you did say something to this effect and making sure we're not saying evil, oh, science, nothing to do with it. I think it's important for us to understand that believers and unbelievers alike are all made in the image of God, and that they are made by this one true God, and they know this God, but they're suppressing that truth and wickedness and unrighteousness. That is what presuppositional apologetics is. Okay, Romans 1. You know, so they know this God, but they're, they're, they refuse to submit, you know, to this God. So they hit on truths, you know, um, and they hit rightly on some truths because they know God, you know, but not in a salvific sense, you know. So that's why in many ways sometimes, even Christ said, you know, um, the children of this world are more shrewd than the children of light because of what? Common grace, God's grace to all men, not special grace that saves, but 
which I'm, it actually kind of segues into what you're about to say, <laughs> what I'm about to answer for you. But I think it's important for us to recognize that and that science is plausible and it is feasible. I, I don't, I'm not one that says evolution's not possible. Actually, under the day age view, actually there are some ways that this could actually be a plausible thing. And that doesn't mean I don't believe in Jesus Christ. You know, it means that, well, anyways. It does, it does mean that Recap doesn't agree with you, <laughs> Yes, it does. I, I don't hold to that, you know, but I think there are plausible, there, there are some ways that science is just plausible with that. But, of course, we have to say what Pastor Larry said. I mean, it's a, a text that wasn't trying to answer 21st century questions. So just wanted to say that. Um, getting to reform and Calvinistic, oh, I'm sorry, Arminianism, Arminianism um, I go to the most reformed seminary on planet Earth, Westminster Seminary. You don't get more reformed than that. Mm -hmm. And um, it just is that way. And it's just, this is it. We are right on everything, and everybody else is wrong. That's just what you imbibe there. Um, but the reality is that Arminianism, reform, we're all going to be around the throne of God. And I'm not trying to simplify this. There's a lot of nuance, of course, and I know I'm aware of those things. But I think it's a tertiary thing. When you are preaching the gospel to somebody, you are wanting them to meet Jesus, period. You know, I did not come to Reformed Theology until maybe 10 years into my walk with the Lord. Um, and it was the Holy Spirit that revealed that to me, not flesh and blood. It was the scriptures, John 6, period. I was like, whoa. Uh, my only it, thing is, is uh -huh. there a danger in come, letting them meet Jesus through our, our message and thinking that they came by their own will? That's my only issue that I have with yeah, it. Yeah, but you know To what? think that their whole Christian life will mm -hmm. be, okay, if, I'm, if it's not by grace, I came under my own volition. And, that, and that's the, the issue I, I sometimes have with um, other, you know, denominations. But I'm not trying to say that I don't want to dismiss them or mm -hmm. be away from them. It's just understanding how do we evangelize and come together as a people with such a differing, you know, ideal. I, I but think I, in my I thought for a long time that I came, I walked down the altar and I went and I gave myself, you know, to the Lord. But I was genuinely saved. Like right. in my life, I, there was a decisive breach with sin in my life. Now, I was wrong in thinking that it was me, but I still believed, you know, um, that Jesus Christ died for me. I believe that he rose from the grave and that I have resurrection life. I believe those things. That's the core, you know, and I think. Um, you just pray if you really have a heart that they would come, you know, to the full knowledge of that, of, of God's grace. You have to pray that they would do that. But we can't force that down um, people's throats, I think. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a really important question. Mm -hmm. And and I, I would say this, <laughs> that saying Arminianism is heresy or people that believe that way are heretics, I think. That's heresy mm -hmm. to say that um, because there are many believers. Unfortunately, one of the reasons I think that many times there are more Arminians is because they're better at evangelism than Reformed people are because, after all, God elected you in eternity past, so he's got to do it. No. The, the proclamation of the gospel is not if you believe in your heart that before the foundation of the world you were elected and confess with your mouth that before you did anything of your own accord that God elected you to eternal salvation, you shall be saved. That's yeah. not what Romans 10 says. It says you believe in Jesus Christ. So we proclaim Christ. I think a great scripture to help understand this is in Philippians 2, 
12 and 13 um, that, that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so in other words, God is calling you to do something. And when we make the gospel call, we're calling people to believe something, right? But then it goes on to say, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. In other words, right now, I'm telling you, work at this thing. But understand, it's God that's working in you. So we've got to be careful, again, not to mix up categories in an unhelpful way. And particularly when when Calvinists do this, and I'm a Calvinist, um, but when Calvinists do this, it really is disparaging to the body of Christ to act as if other people don't love Jesus as much or more because in this we might say one area of sanctification or understanding, they're not as far along as I am. So, so you can have a great understanding of Calvinism and, and of biblical theology, soteriology. You understand your salvation. It comes all from God, and you're living a raggedy life. Does God look at you as having one up on someone that doesn't quite understand those truths the way you do, but is passionately making decisions day after day to put their flesh to death? They're making decisions, which is what we're called to do as believers. Um, And then we give the glory to God for all of it. They may not understand the theology like you do. So that's just really important. We cannot put down our brothers and sisters in Christ with this kind of theological arrogance. And, and that's something I've seen a lot among Calvinists that we've got to repent of, be careful of, and love our brothers and sisters. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Me and, this, me and this guy right here grew up in a somewhat Arminius church. You, you were there. I got pictures. I got pictures, bro. Um, uh, and to be honest, I didn't know that it was Arminius until I, like, I got learned, so to speak, and I knew what those terminologies were. But growing up, I knew I needed to live better, and I knew I needed God's help to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's, see, the one thing we have to realize is the gospel's still a mystery. Like, we, we have to believe by faith, and we know that God's word says that no man can come to the Father but by Christ, right? Like, we can, you can only be drawn to the Father through him you still have to respond, right? And so there's this, there's, this, there's, this, there's this beautiful thing at work that we still don't fully understand that holds you responsible for responding or rejecting, but still makes you dependent on God's work to draw you in, right? Constantly we see in the Bible where, where there's this command, Paul uses it often, make every effort. And yet you can still only do that by the grace of God. And so there's this beautiful duality at play that we fully don't understand where both are happening. Uh, And so I would just say, just to, like Pastor Larry said, just there, like just kind of trying to put that almost like that, that label on everything that's very defined and and everything's in a, in a tightly knit box is just not like, I don't even think the Bible would teach that holistically. So. Make sure it gets to him, right? I just echoing what you guys said. What, what I've learned as you know, being a connections pastor in the inner city, that just means I, I have to engage a lot of people, is that a lot of folks are a lot more reformed than they really think they are. Because they're always talking about the sovereign hand of God. God, if you don't do something, 
it's not going to get done. If you don't draw or pull the tub on the heart, God, this thing is not going to get done. So uh, as Pastor Kurt said, I'm, I'm just not concerned as much with the theological buzzwords um, and having people that really aren't living out the tenets of their faith. You know, if, if someone is a well-meaning Christian and they think they've come to grace by their own efforts and God has, you know, sovereignly oversaw that, I'm okay with it. I just want them to stop watching porn. You know, I want them to stop, you know, wilding out, cheating, smoking weed. That's my primary concern. So if they're doing that and they see God's hand at work, I just believe that the Lord will reveal that over time. And even if he doesn't, we'll talk about it by and by. By and by. <laughs> when the morning comes. There you go. Come on, man. All the saints of God together. Hi. Um, so his question made me think of something that happened to me like back in college days, and I wanted to ask y'all about it. The two different creation stories in Genesis and how they, what's that look about recap? Um, and how they conflict. And then, so how do you deal with that itself? And then the guy was like, so the first book of your Bible is already in conflict with itself. Like, how can I believe what you believe? It's even real. So how do you address that? That are a big question is, that's a big question. Um, uh, one of the things that, that I'm doing this year is studying through Genesis and particularly those first couple of chapters.